Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope that the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful for your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the blood of the covenant to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all burden and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, stagnancy, ignorance. All of this let it depart from the tents of your holy people and stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you in the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit, fill us with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented by Apostle Arkadi in your divine arms, and we ask you, continue to lead it with your high and uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. You may be blessed. Please be seated. The Book of Ephesians Chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God into righteousness and holiness of truth. The sermon is called The Right to Set Aside Our Former Way of Life to Be Clothed in a New Way of Life. For the fulfillment of this commandment that is written in the book of Apostle Paul and is presented to us in a series of sermons of Apostle Arkadi, there are three faithful commanding actions in use. These are to set aside renew, and clothe. To confirm this commandment, we will refer to one more places of scripture in which the author provides an analogy for the truth that calls us to set aside our former way of life and its works so that we can be clothed in the new man who has the ability to be renewed in knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Colossians 3, 8-11 But now you yourselves, you yourselves, this is referring to the church, you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. We have noted that answering these fateful questions will affect whether we turn ourselves 
than to vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath, or rather, will we perfect the salvation that is given to us in the format of a deposit, or will we waste it, because of which our names will forever be blotted out of the book of life. We are given the right to power to set aside the former way of life of the old man, the right and authority, the anointing as we had heard. And this power is given not just to be called, but to be the children of God, according to our essence. In a certain format, we have already examined the first two questions and have stopped to examine the question, what conditions must we fulfill so that through our renewed thinking we could begin the process of clothing ourselves into the powers of our new man? who is created by God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holiness of truth. In regards to clothing ourselves into our new man, we came to the conclusion that we need God's help in the subject of His mercy. Because God's mercy is the unique power of God that yields the essence of God and the inheritance of man out of the seed of the word of truth. The new man is born from the seed of the word of God. And we know that for the foolish in his nature, we know that the new man, we are capable of accepting thanks to the fact that we accepted the word we can see in ourselves. The means for accepting the kind of help expressed in the inheritance of God's mercies is the weapon of prayer or worship, the image of unique and continual remembrance before God, defining the standard of a continual prayer, is presented in Scripture in the breastplate of judgment of the high priest. And this breastplate of judgment was made for and served only one object, Urim and Thumim, the presence of which allowed God to hear man, and it allowed man to hear God. This is a two-sided movement. Remember, this is the road along which road along which goes in both directions. And so to be heard by God in the revelations of his Urim, it was necessary to maintain a remembrance of the word of God in the subject of his Thumim, which God made in the days of the old. The breast put a judgment as a subject of a continual prayer before God, or continual memorial, is a sacred image of the format of a continual prayer, giving God the opportunity to fulfill His will on planet Earth. And so a prayer that does not meet the requirements and characteristics of a breast put a judgment does not have a right to be called a prayer. Only the format of a continual prayer presented in the breastplate of judgment of the high priest gives us the right to draw near to God and enter the sanctuary as kings and priests unto God in order to represent the intercession that pursues the interests of God's will. Here is how Apostle Paul represented the nature of a breastplate of judgment that represents the image of a continual prayer. 
Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. We have answered that consistency in prayer is defined by a burning lamp that defines the state of the righteous heart of man. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. Proverbs 13.9 The order of the makeup of the breastplate of judgment contains conditions that true worshippers of God, whom God searches for himself, are supposed to have. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Worshipping the Father in spirit and truth is to not damage the truth in the pursuit of goals that are set by God in Scripture that many did before and many continue to do due to their ignorance or their hypocrisy or their jealousy. For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God we speak in the sight of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17. In the Septuagint, this is our translation of scripture, the breastplate of judgment is called a sign of justice, because through Urim and Thummim that were contained in the breastplate of judgment, God could tell man his judgment. The image of the breastplate of judgment finds its expression in the conscience of a person that is cleansed from dead works, on the tablets of which, as well as the seal, is the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. A conscience that is cleansed from dead works, with a seal on the tablets of truth and righteousness, will yield the nature of true worshippers who will give God the right to act in them and through them on planet Earth. God has bound himself with his word when he created man. He said that no greater creation he will make. He needs man who is going to be clothed in his word and his powers, who is going to be in the likeness of him. Only then he can act on planet Earth. The twelve golden settings of the breastplate of judgment is the order of God that is contained in the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, which we, as the worshippers of God, are called to represent in our continual prayer. The twelve precious stones with the engravings of markings of the twelve names of the sons of Israel is an image of our prayer, our continual prayer, that represent the perfect judgments of God. From this we can conclude that it was not the golden settings in the subject of the truth of the word of God that are engraved to fit the stones, but rather the stones in the subject of our prayers are engraved to fit the measurements and configurations of the golden settings of truth. A continual prayer in the twelve precious stones on the breastplate of judgment with the twelve names on it is an unceasing prayer that in its intercession represents the interests of the will of God and does not step away from the goal until it receives what it asks for. The ephod of the high priest with the breastplate of judgment 
was created and served only one holy object, which was called to exactly double and fulfill the functions of the golden ark. This is Urim and Thummim. Because the golden ark of the covenant and the breastplate of judgment figuratively represented the conscience of a person that has been cleansed from dead works. A worshipper of God can only be a person who has a conscience that is cleansed from dead works, or who has a wise heart, on the tablets of which is sealed truth in the subject of the Mim, because of which the revelation of God in the subject of Urim could exist only in the boundaries of truth that are represented by Thummim in the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. As it is written, I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans, that they may make all that I have commanded you. Who is a wise person? A wise person has taken care of placing Thummim in his heart, the word of God. And if you remember the breastplate of judgment, it was the length of about a span of a hand. Length and width. A span. Pastor Daniel had explained, he said, he had measured a heavens with a span. This represented the fivefold ministry. So all the measurements, the breastplate of judgment itself and all that was tied with it. It could be gained only having acknowledged the fivefold ministry, only being found in the church and being submissive to its order to be a disciple. This is a wise person that has hidden wisdom in his heart. And God answers and responds to this wisdom. He says, I will lay wisdom for they have done all that I have commanded you. A person could understand if he acknowledges the fivefold mystery and he can understand how, how to build oneself into a warrior of prayer. The companionship of Thummim and Urim is the union of the two formats of wisdoms that states that the carriers of Thummim and Urim are worshippers of God and have the immune system of the Holy Spirit. As we know, the sixth name on the second row for the bottom that was engraved on the precious stone diamond, or Almaz, was the name of the sixth son of Jacob, Naphtali, meaning wrestler, wrestler, enduring in battle. The name of God on the precious diamond stone according to Jewish rabbis in Hebrew means El Hai, which translated to Russian means living God. Therefore, according to the meaning of the name Naphtali and the precious diamond stone, we note that the function of the sixth principle laid as a foundation of our continual prayer is our right, our right and anointing, our ability to allow the Holy Spirit to be with us in prayer battle against the powers of darkness that go against us fulfilling the will of God, the name of the living God. A question arises, what purpose is God pursuing when He calls His children to become warriors 
of prayer, as well as how and under what conditions can God give a person the right to become a warrior of prayer that a person could represent the interests of God in the realization of his inheritance in God. And according to scripture, being a warrior of prayer is the legitimate and privileged inheritance of saints of all time. This is their original purpose expressed in their calling to trample the wickedness of the wicked in prayer battle. This is one of the greatest provisions that is given by God to man in which a person becomes a king and priest unto God and is seen by God as a diamond with the engraving of the name Naphtali. By not being a king and priest unto God in the virtue of which a person could rule his emotional organ, organ with his informational organ, it is impossible to be a warrior of prayer. Informational organ, as we know, as Pastor explained to us, this is our renewed mind. It is the renewed mind that can and is called to reign over our emotions. We must not fulfill the will of our emotions. Emotions, as we heard, they are without a mind. They don't have a mind. It is the emotions that are called to fulfill our will and to follow after us. And the love of a person and his relations with God should be judged not by emotions, but according to the information that comes from God. As it is written, faith is from hearing the word of God. The prayer of a warrior of prayer is a kind of sacred and valued mystery that has an unearthly origin, and therefore it is inaccessible to being understood with the rational capabilities, rational capabilities of man. Only a renewed mind is able to acknowledge. We have noted that according to its nature, the genesis of prayer is the genesis of God has no beginning and no end. Prayer is the tongue of God, identifying the essence of God and yielding the word of God that defines the genesis of God. Therefore, prayer was always the mystery of God as well as dwelled in the presence of God as his golden scepter of grace, which he stretched out only on the one who sought his face and who sought to do his will. Whoever dared to come to him on their own conditions, without being called into his presence, led his golden scepter of goodwill to not stretch upon that person. And so the prayer of this kind of person was not heard by God. As it is written, Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. John 9.31 According to these words, God becomes the initiator of every prayer, when a warrior of prayer, in the dignity of his worshiper, begins to pray with the language of God, which yields the inner state of God in his unchanging will. The language of God is word. Because the right to draw near and to stand before God in prayer 
is God's prerogative. No one himself will be able to draw near or come to God who abides in his inaccessible light. Their nobles shall be from among them, and their governor shall come from their midst, and I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach me. For who is this who pledged his heart to approach me, says the Lord? You shall be my people, and I will be your God. Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 21 through 22. According to this prophetic revelation, we note that drawing near and coming to God can be done by only one ruler who will rise from the seed of the nation of Abraham. This is the Son of God in the status of the Son of Man, in whom all who are born of God, who search for God, could draw near to God in Him and through Him. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. Prayer is not only a means of communication with God, but it is the legal right that represents the weapon, bringing to action the legislation of God, and the right that man gives God to interfere in the sphere of earth. The pastor shows that this is in the sphere of our body. Figuratively, the land or earth is presented as our body. In this legal right, bringing into action the legislation of God, we are able to have only on the conditions established by God, in which we, according to our dedication to God, yielded by our inner state, are called to coincide with according to inner state of God. Today we will continue to remember one of the properties of the new man as a warrior of prayer. More concisely, we will affirm that revelation that is presented to us by the Holy Spirit through our Apostle on the foundation of Scripture how we ought to keep and to cultivate in the fruit of thanksgiving that is necessary in prayer before God. In Scripture, the property or character contained in the word thanksgiving is attributed in prayer as a commandment, as a decree, and as a military command, non-fulfillment of which destroys our relations in a covenant with God and cast us as sons of perdition. According to Scripture, the definition of the essence and purpose contained in the word thanksgiving is directly related to the quality of our faith or with the quality of our obedience to the will of God. Thanksgiving and prayer is an expression or unraveling of a thankful heart before God. So, the way a warrior prayer's heart will be, thus will be his prayer. One of the definitions of the word thanksgiving means grace. From this it follows that the meaning of the word thanksgiving there exists a kind of grace that yields a grateful heart of man. But there also exists a kind of grace that yields the grateful heart of the Heavenly Father. According to Scripture, the grace of God in the meaning of his thanksgiving 
is directed exclusively toward the grace of man in his thanksgiving to God, as it is written, John 1, 16-17, and of his fullness we have all received in grace for grace. In the original, again, it should be grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. God answers with his thanksgiving to the thanksgiving of man. And so, the praise of a person in prayer expressed in the format of thanksgiving is expression of the faith of his heart in which a person shows whom God is for him and what God has done for him. Thanksgiving and prayer is the result of the fruit of our spirit in the property of discipline, nobility, and respect to God. I like dis- like the word discipline. Discipline, it's a process. The offering of fruit to God is a process, the process of discipleship where a person, a person humbles himself, where he reconsiders all of his thoughts, actions, views. Let us remember that if our thanksgiving is not poured out in a specific action of thanksgiving expressed in obedience to the specific will of God, then this will mean that we are taking the statutes of God and His covenant in our lips, but we ourselves will hate His instruction and His words we cast behind us. But to the wicked God says, What right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth, seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you? Psalms chapter 50, verses 16 through 17. It despises discipleship, has a stiff will. He himself thinks he knows how scripture should be with his own mind. The lack of legitimate thanksgiving and praise talks about the lack of the kingdom of heaven in the heart of a person that yields a thankful heart and relates this kind of a person into the category of those that are called, which transformed into the wicked. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud. An apostle writes this to Timothy. He's talking about the church. It is specifically in the church these kind of people will be. Know that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-2 through two. These are people who despise correction and instruction. They are people rejected being disciples and rejected humility and so keeping and cultivating the fruit of thanksgiving and prayer we have noted that according to principles laid out in scripture everything that does not expand or cultivate begins to dwindle and diminish to expand and cultivate the fruit of thanksgiving and prayer four things are necessary First, to walk in Christ Jesus. Second, to be rooted in Christ Jesus. Three, to be built up in Christ Jesus. And fourth, to be established in faith with Christ Jesus. We will continue to look at these four steps 
we have stopped to study the third one, but very quickly I will remind you the first two steps. And you therefore have received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Expanding our abilities in Christ Jesus and all of these fears will depend on the success of thanksgiving in our prayer. And prayer are not just words, this is our specific action, our walking before God, in which we, with a weapon of thanksgiving, outline a circle around our abilities in Christ Jesus, affirming the promises that have not been fulfilled yet as though they have been fulfilled. We must remember that God's prerogative is to be vigilant over His Word so that it would be fulfilled in all of its fullness and during His established time. And our prerogative is to accept and thank God for His Word in that form which He reveals it for us. Thanking God should be done from a position of trust Trust that God will fulfill what was said by Him in our address and in that time which He placed in His authority. We must also behave ourselves according to the word we have received. If we are not familiar with these fears, we will not be able to be successful in them with thanksgiving or clothe them into fruit of a mouth that praises God. When studying the second but the first question, what conditions must we fulfill to walk with Christ Jesus and be successful in this walk with thanksgiving? We arrive to the conclusion that we are called to walk in Christ Jesus only on those conditions and according to those requirements on the foundation of which we have accepted Him as you therefore have accepted Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. And the body of Christ in the face of God's chosen remnants out of the many who are called is defined by narrow gates. The main reason we can accept Christ only in the body of Christ. Those that are lonely who have repented somewhere else, they don't exist. You can repent only in the body of Christ. So the repentance, true repentance, can occur only in the body of Christ. And if a person says, well, I myself read the Bible and I repented, he is lying to himself and he is lying to you. And not in every church it can be repented, but only in that church that is defined as a narrow gate. The true reason why the many that are called will search how to enter the narrow gates but will not be able to is because they will not want to enter by the conditions established in Scripture. And these conditions are going to be comprised of the fact that a person needs to die to his nation, to his household, and to his corrupt desires that are clothed. What's interesting and most important, they are clothed in evangelism that comes from his soul, which is seen by Scripture as lawlessness. Furthermore, we have noted that to accept Christ in our heart is to accept in our heart justification by faith in Christ Jesus. And we have affirmed that justification is not imputing guilt or sin to man that was committed. 
The reality is that during the moment of our repentance or accepting Christ in our heart, we accept our justification and salvation in the format of a seed that must be sown or in the format of a loan that is necessary to place into circulation. And if we have made a covenant with God in the baptism of water, but are not taught how to die for our nation, our household, and our corrupt desires, we will lose our salvation that was given to us in the format of a seed. I grew up in a kind of church where it was not told that after repentance we need to die to something. Yes, sin had to be fought with, you had to evangelize, you had to save people, but the sin that lived in me, it flourished, it flourished like leprosy. I remember I cried, I didn't know what to do. But praise be to God that God had enlightened my heart and sent His word in His time, in His time. And to walk in Christ just as we have received Him is possible only after we sow ourselves in His death and resurrect with Him in His resurrection. Because in the death of Christ, we walk in the resurrection of Christ. We accept justification in Christ on the conditions of a covenant and we walk in Christ according to the truth contained in the covenant. When looking at the second question, what conditions are necessary to fulfill so that our heart is rooted in Christ Jesus, exceeding in this rooting with thanksgiving? We have come to the conclusion that accepting Christ into our heart, we accept justification in the seat of the word of truth. Walking in Christ by the cross of the Lord Jesus, we abolish the body of sin. We leave our carnal nature which gives the foundation for the seed of justification to take root in Christ. To be rooted in Christ means to have the truth, the root of truth in oneself. Being rooted in Christ points to our origin in Christ Jesus from the seed of the word of truth. A man is not established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous cannot be moved. Proverbs 12.3 The justification yielding our root given to us by God in Christ Jesus cannot be shaken. It is immovable. This is what Job said. My root is spread out to the waters, and the dew lies all night on my branch. My glory is fresh within me, and my bow is renewed in my hand. Proceeding from the fact that the root is an image of justification, water and dew are the image of the teaching of Christ. Branches are different areas of our life, and the strength of the bow is an image of the strength of our spirit. Then this allegory would sound something like this. Job 29, verses 19 through 20. The version will sound something like this. My justification is founded in the teaching of Christ, and the power of this teaching dwells in the spheres of my life. The glory of the teaching that dwells within me is everlasting, and I have strength and spirit. Job 29, verses 19-20 through Justification, called the root of our origin, is called upon to be tested by the relationship of saints to each other. 
the relationship of saints to each other are called to be tested by words that create peace, which are devoid of hypocrisy, ingratiation, and intrigue as they are based on the absence of suspicion of each other. Precisely according to the words that create peace, one should judge the firmness of the Spirit represented in the firmness of the root of the righteous. According to the words, this is a key place. Do not speak lies to one another, having taken off the old man with his works. And I remember on Sunday the sermon of Pastor Daniel where he had reminded us that a false testimony lies, this lies that a person, the old man, tries to speak towards the neighbor. Having spoken a false testimony, I highlighted for myself, or spreading false gossip, slander against our brother, who is the belonging of God, we spread a false testimony against God. It's astonishing. And this is expressed in the Tenth Commandment, and let me read it. If you remember, if you were at church on Sunday, do not bear a false testimony against your neighbor. Do not desire the house of your neighbor, do not desire the wife of your neighbor, nor his servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that your neighbor has. Exodus twenty sixteen through 17 there is a very simple test how to define if the Word of God is in my heart. A person who, for whom the Word of God will be in his heart, he is never is going to slander his brother. And so, the kind of treasure contained in the heart of a person determines the kind of the root in which this person is rooted. The root of evil is defined in a person by the love of money in which a person, using the principles of figurative thinking, seeks perishable wealth and measures the level of his relationship with God with it. The root of good, or the root of the righteous, is determined in a person by the absence of love of money, which gives a person a reason to thrive in thanksgiving in the sphere of truth, piety, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. The next definition of the firmness of the root or rooting in Christ is determined by the first fruits of holiness in which we are separated into the property of God which extends to all areas of our life yielded by our branches. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. So our root, holy root, then all spheres of our life will also be sanctified. The reason why many people who have accepted the seed of justification in their salvation will be blotted out of the book of life and inherit destruction is because having received salvation when they came to the congregation to worship the Lord, they did not so much prepare their hearts to hear the word as to the sacrifice of fools. Therefore, these people have the seed, the seed of the Word of God. This seed has not rooted in them. Walk prudently, we see this place of Scripture each time, walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear, rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. 
for they do not know what they do. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1. And let's look at the version of the translation of this place of scripture that our pastor has presented to us. And according to the revelation of the Holy Spirit, we see, observe what goals you pursue when you go to the house of God, and be ready to listen rather than to sacrifice. For they have not been taught that they do evil and commit lawlessness. In practice, these people coming to worship are not disciples who desire the truth and are ready to learn, but as inspectors who try with their mind, with their fleshly mind, to define what is truth and what is what are lies. The next definition of the firmness of our root, or our rooting in Christ, in which we are called to succeed in thanksgiving, is the morning star that has risen in our hearts. The proof of the presence in our heart of a bright and morning star will be our love for the coming of the Lord. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts, Come. Whoever desires, let him come take the water of life freely. Revelation 22, 16-17 The next definition of the firmness of our root or our rooting in Christ in which we are called to succeed in thanksgiving is the presence in the heart of Urim who removes the secret of the seven seals from the book which is in the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. Pay attention the presence of Urim in the heart. Considering the fact that everything that God intends to produce on earth in the work of His redemption, He will produce exclusively through a person similar to His Son. It follows that the book in the right hand of the one who sits on the throne, written inside and outside and sealed with seven seals, is an image of the human heart in which Christ abides and which abides in Christ. The next definition of the firmness of our root, or our rooting in Christ in which we are called to succeed in thanksgiving, is yielded by the grace of God in our heart in the dignity of the law of grace. The dignity of the law of grace of God in our heart should be determined by the presence in our heart of the knowledge that we received through instruction and faith. And we receive knowledge of who God is for us and what God has done for us and what we must do to abide in all that God has done for us. And so the third question, what conditions must we fulfill so that we could be built in Jesus Christ and successful in this with thanksgiving? So first we accept the seed, then we are rooted, 
And now we must be built up or affirm this seed. To be built up in Christ Jesus and be successful in it with thanksgiving means to affirm in our heart the root of righteousness that is already present. And if the justification that we received in salvation in the format of a deposit and rooted in will not be affirmed in the format of the fruit of righteousness, we will be cast out of the limits of salvation. And scripture oftentimes sees places, places where he says, I will uproot, I will uproot along with the root, because God is magnified only in the offering of fruit. So we need to be rooted Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, Apostle Paul writes, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 2. Hold fast which I preached to you, so do not distort the truth that you have accepted. To be affirmed in the teaching offered about righteousness in which we are affirmed, we must be strengthened by the righteousness we have affirmed. But first, we must look at the process of affirmation in Jesus Christ as the root of righteousness in our heart that has been made dependent on our success in this process of thanksgiving. We note that in order to fulfill our salvation, we must accept the gospel from the preached word of the messengers of God and then be affirmed in this gospel through that same word, after which we affirm in unchanging form in which we are called to affirm. In this manner, the gospel of the kingdom that we have accepted in justification in the faith of Jesus Christ in which we were rooted became the building of our righteousness. And therefore, the affirmation of our righteousness in which we were rooted in Christ Jesus is the affirmation of the powers accepted by us in justification in which we, in the proclamation of the faith of our heart, call the inexistent as existent. And by our pastor was brought up an example place of scripture, very interesting place of scripture, Second Samuel chapter 5, verses 11 through 12. And here is where we begin to be established or affirmed. Here we see the principle of affirmation. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David in cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 11-12 through 12. Take a look. David was already anointed by God to be a king. However, if by that same God he would not have been affirmed in the calling of a king, then like Saul, he would have lost his virtue and his calling. And Saul also had accepted justification and was rooted in it but he was not affirmed in it. And here's the reason why, why Saul was not affirmed. 
And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be a commander over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. First Samuel chapter 13 verses 13 through 14 Having been affirmed, we receive something from the Lord. And according to its nature, uh, for example, Saul thought that he had fulfilled all. He went where the Lord told him to. He did. He was victorious over the king. But when Samuel had turned his attention and said, you did not fulfill this. Saul didn't even want to hear about this. In his own head, he said, Well, I did, I went, I went, and I sent, and I did. Samuel told him, You did not fulfill those conditions what the Lord had told you to do. For God, to find a man after his own heart means to find a person who would allow him to affirm him in his rooted righteousness. This affirmation is in a person denying to rule over his heart with his mind. For Saul had ruled with his mind over his heart. He did not allow the heart to rule over his mind. He decided to interpret the commandments of God which Samuel had given him with his own fleshly mind. He said, well, I thought it, this would be better. See the problem that Saul had. I thought or I figured. And in doing so, Saul decided to go into the Holy of Holies apart from the priest because the prince, as we know, the prince, he could go only to the doorstep of the temple and then he would pass along the sacrifice to the priest and the priest had to commit the offering. He went further into the Holy of Holies. People do the same when they when they hear the word and they say, well, why do we need to study all of this? I should just enter the doorstep and I'm already saved, I'm going to inherit salvation. These people don't understand at all what the doorstep is. These are foolish and ignorant people who refuse. And this is our old man. He also is lazy. He also doesn't want to listen. He wants something simpler. Why look into it, study it, and repeat it? But a person has the deposit of salvation. If he, if he doesn't affirm it, he will lose this deposit. That's why we need immersion. That's why we need studying. And that's why we need to look into that word which is given to us. In Hebrew, the word to build means to enhance, make strong, give power, to erect from the dead, to restore the rights, 
to pick up from the ruins, to enrich in the sufferings of Christ, to make unshakable, to be persistent, to be still, to be firmly grounded, be safe, be prepared for battle, be corrected, be instructed, to be alert, to be disciplined. What a rich uh, semantics included in this word. To give God the foundation to affirm the root of our righteousness in Christ Jesus in thanksgiving, it is necessary to willingly obey the gospel word of the messengers of God in the teaching of affirmation, the building of our righteousness. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, for obedience to the faith, to God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Romans chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. To understand, a pastor shows us that people can't themselves be built up or be affirmed studying scripture on their own. Paul writes, Now him who is able to establish you. So God is going to establish only according to the word and the sermon of Jesus Christ and the apostle. To understand what the strength of our righteousness is, how to be successful in it with thanksgiving, we will turn to the things or the signs that allowed David to understand that God had affirmed him as king. Again, this place. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. And here are three personas that are present here. These are the messengers of the king of Tyre, the cedar trees of the king of Tyre, the carpenters and masons of the king of Tyre. According to these three signs, David had defined that the Lord had affirmed his kingdom when they came and they built a house. And so, let us look. Messengers, they are diplomats of the highest ranks who represent the legal right of their country in another country. The message and calling of these messengers or ambassadors is on the highest level to decide and build mutual relations, two-sided mutual relationships, remember a road with a, a double direction between these two countries. And for a government to send their ambassadors to another sovereign country, it is necessary for him to have a diplomatic right in the country where he resides. In practice, in, in the ancient world, representatives of friendly governments and another government had the diplomatic ability to sometimes occupy tens of hundreds of cities as well as main cities. Then, so Ben-Hadad said to him, The cities which my father took from your father I will restore, and you may set up marketplaces for yourself in Damascus, as my father did in Samaria. Then Ahab said, I will send you away with this treaty. So he made a treaty with him and sent him away. First Kings chapter 20, verse 34. And so for the intentions of the king of Tyre to be realized, 
His ambassadors were supposed to agree with the intentions on the levels of diplomatic or specially instituted powers before the court of the King David, who were supposed to pass along the intentions of David, the intentions of the King of Tyr, in accordance with King David. And now, notice that this was the desire of the King of Tyr uh, to David. And now, imagine that King David, as the head of Israel and the King of Tyr, who abided the city of Phoenicians near the shore of Lebanon and their diplomatic representatives, is an image of a righteous person who accepted justification, was rooted in justification, and then built up in justification. All of these personas are found in us, in us, in the new men. A question arises, who is King David in our essence who stands as head of Israel, as well as who is King of Tyre who stands as head of the Phoenician government? By answering these questions, we will be able to understand who the messengers of the King of Tyre are and the diplomats of King David, with whom the messengers of the King of Tyre discussed all the details about building a house for David. And when the house of David, built by the carpenters and masons of the king of Tyr, was built from cedar trees, which also belonged to the king of Tyr, only then David could understand that God has established him as king over Israel. We also will be able to understand that we are established in righteousness, specifically according to these signs. Proceeding from the revelations already available, which by the grace of God became our property, our property, why? Because we were humbled. We were humbled before that word which we heard. We were humbled under the authority of the fivefold mystery, and therefore, God had shown His mercy to us and uncovers these principles, which we are able to understand in ourselves and see in ourselves. This is our renewed So King David, standing at the head of Israel in our nature, is our renewed thinking of the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit. So King David... While the king of Tyre, who stands at the head of the Phoenician government in our nature, is the Holy Spirit in the dignity of a master who stands at the head of our new man, yielded by our wise heart. We must accept him in the dignity of a master. Standing at the head of our new man, yielded by our wise heart. You see, a wise heart, two formats of wisdom. A coastland is always an island, and here the image of King of Tyre and his government was an image of the Holy Spirit. And therefore the messengers of the King of Tyre, for a person with a wise heart, are the revelations about the righteousness of God put by the Holy Spirit into the mouths of the messengers of God. You see how Urim comes on the mystery of Thumim that is hidden in the heart. Only the Holy Spirit uncovers this through the mouths of the messengers of God, while the diplomats of King David, 
who negotiated all the details of building a house for David from cedar trees with the messengers of the king of Tyre. These are the capabilities of a renewed mind that cooperate in our nature with the messengers of the king of Tyre. Renewed mind is always pondering upon that revelation that he receives. As we received from the lips of the messengers of God. Here is presented the image of the collaboration of the capabilities of our renewed mind with a person who is speaking the word of God. Specifically, Pastor explained this about this. And there is one detail here. It is specifically what the person sent, not chosen by the church, not someone who has selected himself, not with the person who has established himself, but only with that person whom God has established. It is he who is the messenger. Let us provide a place of scripture that verifies this idea. As it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Here, Apostle Paul represent the messengers of the King of Tyre. And furthermore, the carnal man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9-16 through 16. The house of David, built of cedar wood and marble by the carpenters and masons of the king of Tyre, is the teaching of Christ about righteousness arising from the truth yielded by the meme. The righteous flourishes like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Psalms 92 verses 13 through 16. They are carpenters and masons of the king of Tyre who directly work with the material of righteousness yielded by the cedar trees and the marble stones laid in the foundation of the house of David are the members of our body presented to God as instruments of righteousness. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. You do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. The 
This is our body given to service to the Lord, and it should be understood that the marble stones laid in the foundation of the house of David are the teachings of Christ, which yields the discipline of hope, which is called to be the foundation of the house of righteousness. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19-22 through 22. And you as living stones, remember this place of scripture, and it is the foundation that must be out of stone, not out of sand, not out of tree. The king of Tyr, the Holy Spirit, spent specifically masons, and they had built David, a cedar home that was founded on stone. And the cedar trees from which the house of righteousness was built on the foundation of our hope in Christ Jesus, this is the totality of truths which yield our hope. Hope and trust. Hope is the foundation, and that out of which we build is trust. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. How beautifully Apostle Paul and how our pastor has shown this principle, this place he has uncovered as a principle of affirmation of our righteousness. To summarize our success in thanksgiving in the sphere of affirming our righteousness and faith in Christ Jesus, it follows that the affirmation of our righteousness in faith in Christ Jesus in which we are called to be successful in thanksgiving is comprised of our hope and trust in the Word of God. We are going to be affirmed through hope and trust. Fourth question. What conditions must be fulfilled to be strengthened in faith in Christ Jesus being successful in this faith in thanksgiving? First, we accept justification, then we are rooted in this justification, after which we are established in our righteousness, which formed from justification, and finally we need to strengthen the position of the previously established righteousness. To strengthen the semantic is to be strong, to strengthen, take courage, overpower, overcome, to assert, to take by force, capture, Show yourself strong and tough, be weighty, be honored, show your glory, and multiply. And here, Pastor provides one of the characteristics of a virtuous wife, a wise wife, which we have heard about many times, in which her righteousness is presented in the book of Proverbs. A virtuous wife that has built her house. Place of scripture, strength and beauty are her clothing, she shall rejoice in time to come. Proverbs 31, verse 25. 
Here are certain forms of righteousness, or rather double garments that we see presented here. And Pastor shows here that strength is power, might, beauty is the outfit, decoration, greatness, splendor, honor, glory. And here specifically strength is the power and the might of righteousness. Beauty is the adornment and splendor of the power that is endowed with righteousness that thrives in thanksgiving. And it's that righteousness that is in thanksgiving. Without the strength of righteousness in Christ Jesus, we will not be able to show the fruit of long-suffering in anticipation of the coming of the Lord Jesus. We need to be strong in order to wait for this coming. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 8. From this place of scripture, we can specifically see that long-suffering is tied to strength. And so the strength of righteousness is also necessary for us because thanks to the property of its strength, we will be able to strengthen our drooping hands that hang down and our weakened knees and walk with our feet straight. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down in the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Hebrews 12, verses 12 through 13. The strength of righteousness is the foundation of our hope on which we are called to build ourselves into a harmonious building, growing into a holy temple in the Lord on which we are built into the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful-hearted, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, He will come and save you. Isaiah 35, verses 3 through 4. So the harvest will come. God is going to give to everyone according to His works. The strength of our righteousness is called to express itself in the foundation of the commanding teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. Just as in the status of the Son of Man, He became the strength of our righteousness in which we will not be ashamed before God. The strength of our righteousness lies in the fruit of long-suffering, which is faithfulness to the teaching of Christ that we have received. It is our faithfulness to the teaching of Christ that we have received. If we are not taught what is the strength of our righteousness and how to thrive in it with thanksgiving, our building will be built on sand. And at the moment when God visits us and begins to measure our structure with large waters and strong winds, our structure will be destroyed and the destruction of our home will be great. We need to grow the fruit of long-suffering, which is faithfulness. Amen, saints. We will pray and thank God for that word, for these precious principles which He uncovers for us on this place.
that we are his children, that we are found under his shadow, under the protection of the man of God. This is the mercy that the Lord has allowed according according to his great foreshadowing or his great predestination. He has known us and predestined us for this word so that we can come into his image, into his perfection. He has called us to share with him his perfection. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we bow down before you again and again upon this place that has been blessed by you. This place where you have been revealed to us in your name, where you trample all of our enemies, where you give revelation to your people, where you grow us in the full measure of Christ so that we are no longer infants that are swayed by all kinds of winds of teaching according to the cunningness of men. This place where you teach us to show thanksgiving to you, not just in our words, but in our walk before you, in our actions in which we are called to show your holiness. A place where you root, affirm, and strengthen us and make us firm and immovable in faith. May your mercy be blessed upon this place where your saints are found, who heed to your word. We thank you that you have enlightened, enlightened the eyes of our heart, and according to your great mercy, we have been able to leave our own understanding, our own righteousness that is from works, our own people, our own household, we have given you the opportunity to dwell in our hearts through your word so that you can cleanse our hearts from all hypocrisy, from all lies, from stagnancy, from covetousness, so that we can show your holiness and your might in our relations with one another. We bow down before you and we thank you that you remain faithful to your word. When we sin, we are still yours acknowledging your authority. We thank you that despite all of our imperfections, we are perfect in you, and when we fall, you give us the opportunity to again and again arise, to leave our sin and to fight with it. We know, Lord, that our enemy is already overcome, and our old man, our old nature, is crucified on the cross along with Christ. You have risen, and with your resurrection you destroy the power of death, illnesses, tragedies, poverty, and all kinds of dependencies. We thank you that we are given for Christ to not just believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him, to suffer for the truth, demonstrating our faithfulness to that teaching that we have accepted according to your great mercy through the person whom you have selected and have sent in our life. We thank you for your divine order. May your mercy and comfort be blessed. For our pastor, Arkady, 
and for his whole household, to all saints that are found in afflictions, as it is written, If one member suffers, all members suffer with him. If one is is rejoicing, all rejoice. We thank you that you have made us capable of loving one another and representing one body to be your church. You have given us the Holy Spirit. You have given us your word. And we bow down before your great word, our Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the wicked one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And let us conclude with manifesting our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with unblemished joy, to God our Savior, through Jesus Christ, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen.